Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show, sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Greg, Carolina plays Western Carolina tomorrow. Uh, should be a win. Better be a win. Uh, uh, North Carolina fans would probably riot if it were not a win and run some people out of town, literally. Uh, but your thoughts overall in the last couple of days, of course, the coaching discussion has heated up a lot, especially on Inside Carolina's message boards. Uh, BOT meeting today, or excuse me, Thursday. Um, your thoughts just on overall what's going on in and around this program? Well, to your point, Tommy, I think if North Carolina happens to lose to Western Carolina, this all becomes quite clear and it's a nice little <laughs> package. Well, we thought um, so after the uh, – or going into the ECU game too, though, I remind you. Yes. 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 Uh, and y- to be fair, Carolina is only a 31-point favorite against the Catamounts, and I think they were, what, like a 17-point favorite against the Pirates? Well, so they got um, that going for them, <laughs> which is <laughs> nice. Um, but I know whenever whenever people hear you know, of, of board of trustees meetings and what all that entails, uh, I think it's important to note that these guys meet uh, not every month necessarily, but they they meet routinely. This has been a scheduled set of meetings for a long time. This is not just sports related. And there's a lot of things within the university that the board of trustees has to discuss. That's why they come together and have these you know, two day meetings. Essentially, is what it is. You have all these different committees. Um, and so I, I think kind of the important thing to, to tell people is that if anybody thinks that a final decision has been made at this point in time, they are wrong. And there was no indication whatsoever uh, that has been decided upon. Uh, has it been discussed? I'm sure it has been. We've been told that, you know, that was some some discussions behind the scenes, as you would expect, as it has been going on for some time now. Uh, but but the rumor mill always kicks up in these situations, and you hear that hey this guy's the front runner and he's the guy that they've got circled to to be the next head coach or or you know, Fedora's going to stay but he's hiring these guys to come in. Uh, all that's kind of you know, getting getting ahead of the situations, getting ahead of where we're at right now. Um, and so you know, I see we continue to track this. We will track this uh, until whatever decision is ultimately made. But the idea that a decision has been made at this point is false. Uh, still a lot of uh, season to go as we still got two games left uh, and still a lot of decisions to be made. Certainly nothing has been finalized at this point in time. Jason, how difficult is it a, for a coach to coach in a situation like this and B, players to be focused? I tend to think the players really don't pay that much attention to it or do they? I mean, thoughts on that it's it's hectic or maybe it's just hectic in the inside carolina message board world not really out there in the real world but anyway your thoughts um you know things are a little different now than they were back when i was in school so uh you know players are much more connected in terms of ability to keep track of things and you know social media is such that they're going to hear a lot more than than what we did uh, that's for sure. Although even then, I remember uh, a couple pieces of news that got broken 
we found out on the internet before we ever had a team meeting on it. Uh, it's like, you know, found something out and then it's like, Oh, you know, just got a, just got no, just got a phone call that we're going to have a team meeting this afternoon. Well, we know what that team meeting's about, <laughs> but um, now players are much more aware of the general temperature of the fan base of, of, of all of that than they used to be. Uh, that said, they're still to some degree in a bubble because you are going to school, you're going to class, hopefully. Uh, and you are, uh, you're in the football facility grinding, doing the work every day. So you do hear about, you do get more connection with the dissatisfaction, but in terms of what you're doing, that stuff is so routine. It doesn't change that much. Now, what does change is you know that, well, we're not making a bowl. We, no matter what we seem to do, we can't seem to close out any wins. And we're playing a team that's terrible. So, you know, there is that question. I mean, even in high school, even at, in the middle school ranks, you know, when you, when you get a team that's got one win, two wins on the season, you start to, there, there does start to be a point where, you know, there, there's a, some dissatisfaction and, and some apathy that can set in with the players. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if there is some degree of that, particularly with players that, uh, you know, may, may be in their final season. Uh, you know, other young players have some incentive to, to try to impress at this stage. So it can, it can vary, but uh, on the flip side, this is one, one game where you go in like, well, well, finally we should be able to do what we, you know, what we want to do and actually get the feeling of a win. So uh, so, you know, there, there may be enough motivation in that, but it is a, it is a tough situation as a player. And it's certainly very difficult as a coach to make sure that you have uh, your team prepared to play after so much discouragement week after week. Greg, it's crazy how everything happens in real time, uh, you know, on the internet, on Twitter, on all the different social medias, but the players of course are involved in that stuff. They see it. Um, you know, I would have a policy that you have no social media during the season. I don't think Carolina does that as we've seen players that are injured tweeting during games, which <laughs> I guess nothing wrong with that, I guess. Uh, but Greg, how about being coaches on the coaching staff? I know Fedora talks about, he doesn't pay attention to any of that. I think one of the best quotes I've heard in the last uh, couple months was Gundy at Oklahoma state when somebody asks him about something that goes on Twitter, what do he say? I don't give a rat's ass what somebody says on Twitter or something like that. Uh, but your thoughts on the grown-ups in the room idea of it. I mean, there's got to be pressure. And I think we've seen, especially in that last press conference after Duke, I believe it was, that, that, that things have changed a little bit, it seems, for Fedora and maybe some of his staff. But your thoughts on, on their take or their point of view or their you know from their angle yeah well i think i think there's two parts of it uh and they seem kind of contradictory but i think they can also be true and it's that coaching coaches are are wired to you know be focused on the process you know we have practice this week we have tuesday install we have wednesday uh where we really hit it hard and do some of our specialty situation things and then Thursday is polish, walk through Friday, we play a game Saturday. And you get into that routine, and that's what you know, and that's what you know works, and you stick with that. And you really insulate yourself from, from a lot of the noise. And that's, I mean, let's be honest, this is what social media is, it's noise. 
I mean, it's easy to get wrapped up into it. Uh, but I, I, I think the three of us, and I think a lot of people probably listen to this, you, you get sucked into it initially when you're first exposed to it. But as you kind of see what it is and you understand it, uh, it doesn't have the uh, appeal that it once did. And you see it for what it's worth. And I think coaches are the same way and they understand where they need to be paying attention. Uh, and so they really are just kind of tunnel vision on what they need to do. And But having said that, you do feel that pressure, like you said. And I really think it's a situation where things were humming along. You had a great 2015, 2016, why well, didn't end the way you thought it would with Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback. You still won eight games. You went to a good bowl game. You were competitive in those games. And then you have last year. And while the coaches really wouldn't uh, say this publicly, I, I think a lot of them thought that the injuries really kind of derailed what could have been a decent season, even though it would have been a rebuilding year. And so while you don't kind of just brush it aside, you say, yeah, there's an asterisk there, but we think we are prepared to move past it. And that was kind of the mindset this offseason. But then you get into this year, and those losses start piling up even more. And I think at that point in time, you start saying, okay, uh, maybe this thing's not going to self-correct. Maybe there are some issues that are going to have to be addressed. And maybe we are losing the fan base more than we thought would be possible. And so you get into this thing where you start losing all these games consecutively, uh, and it becomes an issue. And so there's there's no doubt that there's that pressure there. I believe Fedora, when he says that you know, nobody puts more pressure on himself uh, than, than you know, him and the coaches and, and kind of what they want to accomplish for these players. I believe that. But at the same time, you are having uh, added pressure kind of uh, you know, basically soaking up the entire campus, you know, filling up Keenan Football Center uh, because you have all these different voices saying, hey, you know, can these guys do it? Is is this done? You know, are we at the point where this is over? Uh, and so their goal is to, to, to prove that mindset wrong. And so you do have to work a little bit harder and play, pay a little bit more attention to it. Um, but but no doubt that the pressure is there. That's a difficult situation. And I, I think really for Fedora, when you go back to when we when he took the Southern Miss job before 2008, if you look at what he did up until last year, I mean, the guy won at least six games every year. And you know, back in 2014, we talked about, hey, they lost the bowl game. That's the first losing season the guys had. And then you know, they have the two great years in 15-16, and then we know what's happened since. So this is kind of foreign territory to him. And so I'm sure it has been a challenge. And like you said, you know, when, when we started asking tough questions after the Duke game, I, mean, I asked him, I said, you know, when you take a step back and look at this from a program perspective, how do you turn this around? And you can kind of, you can kind of sense the, the tension in the room. And he, he for it felt like 10 seconds, but it was just for a couple seconds trying to you figure out exactly what to say. Uh, and that's not like Fedora. And so, yeah, I mean, certainly he's, he's feeling the pressure. He understands kind of what's going on. But I do think they are just so focused in on trying to make sure they get these wins uh, that they're trying not to pay too much attention to that outside noise. Oh, boy, here we go. I want to get into this a little bit deeper. But first, let me tell you about Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Hills 15. That's all you need to know to get that 15% off that order from Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. 
We've been talking about it all fall. I hope that you've taken advantage of it. I hope that you've taken advantage of it to save you money, but not only that, to help the Inside Carolina podcast. Use the code for online orders at any of those Chapel Hill area stores. Includes the one in Hillsborough and now that one in Chatham County over there at Chatham Crossing and Lowe's Food Shopping Center. Support the IPC podcast. Thank Charlie, Clint, Griffin, and Jer- at Jersey Mike's for their continued support. So here's how you do it. You go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show you the locations nearest you. Pick those local ones there in Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, and Chatham County. Pick your favorite sub and at checkout enter the code HILLS15 and get 15% off that whole order. Skip the line, head straight to the register and grab your food and you're on your way. Do it today. Place that online order. JerseyMikes.com front slash order. Enter the code HILLS15. Tailgating for the Western game this Saturday. Pick up some Jersey Mikes on the way. Eat it. Come down to the Bowls lot. Speak. Say hello to us, Buck, Mrs. Buck, and all our tailgate crew. Fun times. And now you can even find Jersey Mikes inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys. So support us at the Inside Carolina Podcast and get 15% off your Jersey Mikes order. Jason, hypothetically speaking, we'll do it that way. How difficult is it for a coach to have to make massive staff changes um, at the behest of somebody higher up the food chain, say an athletic director. Uh, how, how, how hard is that, especially for coaches that are pretty headstrong? And I think Fedora would fall in that camp. Uh, maybe all of them are, but. Uh, yeah, that, that, that Fedora is not unusually headstrong. <laughs> so, so how hard would that be? With that aspect, because we've, you know, it's been all, all sorts of scenarios have been thrown out there. But if that were the one that were, were taken in, in, for next year, how hard would that be for a coach to have that forced upon him? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer this in, in two parts, because uh, the, the first part is the assumption that it needs to be forced. So, on the one hand, when you're losing as a coach, you're looking around and you're, you're evaluating. You're looking and going, okay, this, this area has not been good enough. This, this, keeps, getting, this keeps hurting us. We got, we, and, and ultimately, if, if, you're, if you're a smart coach and you value winning, which pretty much every coach values winning, you know, the, the questions about the intelligence of coaches is always, you know, Fans love to call that into question, but, but basically coaches who are, who've gone through two seasons like this, a lot of those coaches are, are already, you know, they've got their own sense of, okay, we need to make some changes. Even if, you know, these guys are good coaches, we just, th- there needs to be some change in these areas. Cause it's not, we're not getting it done. It's still really hard. Even when you, when you know, you need to, to make that change because these are guys that, <sighs> It's it's hard to explain because it's not like other professions in so many ways. Because, you know, it's one of those things where when these guys come onto your staff, they're moving from all from you know one area of the country. You know, they're they're moving with you a lot of times. Some of these guys came with Fedora, so they're moving their entire family, uprooting their family, and families uproot and move all the time in coaching. And it's just it's a part of the profession that. And, and you know that as soon as you fire this guy, 
that's affecting the entire family. And, and it's, it, it very, there very much is a family environment and in, in, on all these coaching staffs, or at least good ones to where, you know, not only, not only do you know that your coworker, but, but you know, your coworker's wife, you know, your coworker's kids, they're around the build that, that they're a part of your program. And you know, that when you give that guy, when you have to call that guy into your office and say, Hey, we got to move on, you know, pack your stuff up that it's not just, you know, that's difficult for any boss, but it's even more difficult because these are people you, you are essentially adopted family with, and you spend, you guys spend, you spend more time with each other than, than you do with your own families. So, and you travel together, all this stuff. So that's really hard. And every coach in the country, and you hear people talk about, Oh, you know, uh, I, I heard this all the time from about, you know, from Florida state fans about Jimbo Fisher, you know, Fisher is so stubborn and he's too loyal to, to his coaches. And, you know, he, he needs to make changes immediately and all that. And it's like, listen, if you get a rep as a coach who does that, people won't come and work for you. You want to be a coach that, that, that top assistants actually want to work for. And, you know, if you're just terminating good coaches because something didn't work or whatever, then you know you better be Nick Saban, because people will, people will 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 do that with with Saban. They'll they'll take they'll roll the dice there, but that's about it. Uh, so you know every coach knows that you need to be loyal. You need to have a reputation as being loyal in this business, or you're 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 in trouble. You're not going to be able to attract other hires. But there does come a point where you where you need to make changes, and it's always painful, even if it's your choice. Now, the second part of that is getting to what you were saying to begin with on the how, how hard is it if you're being forced to make changes? If, say, the athletic director or the powers that be basically come in and they say, okay, well, you're going to need to make these changes. You need to fire this coach, this coach, this coach, and this coach and bring new guys in. That's even harder because if those, don't, if those judgments don't agree with your own, if your own self-evaluation, if your own self-scout, if the if your own uh, evaluation as as the football, you know, the, the the CEO of the football program is to say, well, we've got problems, but this is not one of them. And then somebody comes in and says, well, you need to you need to fire this guy, and you're like, that guy's not one of the problems, but you have to do it. That that actually not only is difficult that actually starts to undermine the, the 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 entire autonomy and authority of the of the coach and once a coach has to do that and it becomes evident that that's what the coach has had to do it's that much harder to hire guys because uh because again assistants who might come in are already recognizing that that coach is probably a lame duck so you're there for a year or two most and that coach also knows like okay now I I don't even have the ability to hire and fire the guys that I think are going to work best with our system, you know, and you're looking over your shoulder. It's, it's a bad, it's a tough situation. And that's part, partly why, you know, I, I believe that, that the assist, that the athletic director, the president, or, you know, whomever the powers that be, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the chancellor, anybody that might have board of trustees, anybody that might have a voice in this, my view is that you hire the CEO and you have to empower the CEO to make the right decisions. You may come in and talk and uh, talk with them and say, it's our impression that these are problems, but, but you have to leave 
to me, in my opinion, you have to leave those decisions up to the head coach in order for the program to work well. Because as soon as you are forcing the coach to hire and fire according to guys that you're picking out, really the better thing is to actually go ahead and and cut the head coach loose and hire someone that you believe is going to be able to hire and fire the right people at the top again. Because you know, generally speaking, athletic directors, board of trustees and all that, they're not qualified to evaluate that stuff. You hired this guy to be the qualified person to set the vision and bring those people in. And if you don't trust that person to do that anymore, then you need to move on from that person as the, as the CEO. I think it's a bad middle ground. It's a, it, it, it ends up just prolonging the, 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 the downward slide. If you force that guy to well, we're going to keep you, but you have to you have to fire these people and find other people that we approve. That to me is it, it almost never works. Yeah, and it sort of makes the case for cleaning house whenever the situation arises. For the most part, Greg, that's one thing that people don't seem to understand. Um, these staffs aren't plug and play. You know, it's not just as simple as firing one guy and putting another guy in there and think everything's fine. It's no different than it is on the field. Um, but your thoughts in that regard, simply because I've never thought that, you know, hiring new coordinators route was a good idea ever for any coach. Now it certainly happened and it's been successful, maybe one or two places in the country, but never thought it would be popular or doable in Chapel Hill. But, your thoughts on the aspect of having that CEO that you trust to do the right thing versus finding a new CEO if you don't believe they're capable. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just kind of gets back to the point of you in the NFL it's not a big job, big deal because you know it's their job just to come in and, and, and coach. And you've got a guy as a CEO who kind of runs things and you don't have to worry about the recruiting aspect. And there are a handful of college programs you know, you could point to Bama under Saban or uh, Southern Cal under uh, Pete Carroll when he was there and uh, you know, some other odds and ends like that where because the infrastructure is there, you can do the plug and play a little bit more. You know, if, if Nick Saban loses a coach, you can hire somebody else and say, hey, I'm recruiting for Alabama. And that's going to get you in the door. <laughs> um, that that makes it makes it pretty easy. And yeah, you're right. At a school like North Carolina, and at most schools, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about a handful that can kind of get away with it. Um, but that's that's actually been something that's hurt North Carolina. You know, when you talk about the the staff turnover in recent years, some people point to that as part of the recruiting issues because you don't have you know, Kenny Browning. I don't know how many coaching staffs he spanned, but he was the guy that was on staff. And he's a great guy, good coach, all these things. But the fact that he was around and he was present and he knew all these coaches across the state and he had such a, a personality about him. I mean, Gunnar Brewer is a great example. Your Gunnar's been around the block. Everybody knew him. And so when you hear people say, ah, your Gunnar's a good coach, but losing him is not going to hurt recruiting that much. I, I don't know where you get that from because your Gunnar has paid his dues He's a good guy. Everybody around the state loved him. That's hard to replace. And um, and so when you when you start having a lot of staff turnover, that makes those types of relationships very difficult. 
And then when you talk about you know, wide-scale staff turnover, if the head coach isn't one of these guys that goes out and talks to everybody and has great rapport with everyone uh, and is like a, a Dabo-type guy who just, you know, he's he's the face of the program, everybody loves him, you can kind of get away with some of, some of this other extraneous stuff that's maybe you know, it's more important for some coaches than others. You know, Fedora is not that type of guy. Uh, he, he's not that bubbly personality. He wants everything to be kept close to the vest. He wants everything kept in-house. And that's just not the kind of component that, that really draws people to him. Uh, and so when you start replacing key pieces around him, that does make it a little bit more challenging. That's what was interesting uh, locally, and I've talked about it before, is uh, a former staff member would come down to my area and recruit uh, the local high schools and flat out say or very much act like he wasn't interested to be there, uh, there or at North Carolina, and now he's not. And those guys that you're trying to build those relationships with, they get that and they knew that, and therefore they weren't comfortable with uh, their kids or their players going to those schools, whereas other staffs, Jason, say a, a guy like Bud Foster – that is that would come down. I mean, he'd been there forever. He knows everybody. He's got some weight behind him as far as respect and all that. He could have some inroads pretty much, you know, in the state of North Carolina just because he was Bud Foster. And it, it speaks to having somebody with a rep and also somebody willing to put in the work and willing to stick around. So staff continuity Rank that, Jason, on your importance um, for a successful college program. Where, well, where do you gonna, put that? I, I'm gonna. I, I put it very, very highly. Maybe, maybe higher than I should, to be honest. Partly because of my my background. I mean, you remember where? I mean, I, where I went, where I where I was an undergrad, where I where I did my uh, where I played my football, if you want to call it that, as a walk on. Um, was, you know, in the late years of, of Bobby Bowden down at Florida State. And, you know, I went to camp there went right before. Uh, so I went to camp there in, in 99. That was when I was, uh, that was my, my senior summer. And so that was while Chuck Amato was still there. That was while Mark Richt was still there. And when I got there my first year, I went there in part to play for, for Mark Richt. I was really impressed by Mark Richt. I loved him. Uh, but... Chuck Amato left in 99, Mark Richt left in 2000. And what happened to that program when those guys left in 99 and 2000? 2000 was our last year. We played, what, three national title games in a row, which is pretty unusual, especially in a, in a non-playoff era, right? So then Mark Richt leaves, and all of a sudden, you know, go on the road to North Carolina and get blown out. And all of a sudden, you know, the next few years, all the things change. The one of the secrets to Bowden's success, those 14 straight top four seasons was the incredible continuity he had on that staff. You had, you not only had Mickey Andrews, you had Chuck Amato, you had Mark Richt, you had uh, Billy Sexton, who was there. You had guys who could finish each other's sentences who knew the state of Florida and recruiting in South Georgia and, 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 you know, the area of, of the country where they got most of their players 
inside and out. They had relationships with all those coaches, with all those high school networks. That stuff matters a lot. And it's harder to do that now because the money's changed and because there's more exposure at other schools. And so, you know, uh, assistant coaches tend to be more mercenary. So you're not going to see that kind of consistency generally. But where you see a lot of con- a lot of uh, of consistency in terms of coaching staff sticking sticking together, staying together, you tend to see uh, success follow. You know, a place like Clemson. Look at how much they've been able to keep that staff together the last five or six years. And you know, even even when uh, when the Chad uh, left as the offensive coordinator, they hired from from inside, and and that was a, a criticized decision at the time. But they believed in their family. They believed in their in their continuity as a, a core part of what made them special as a program. And, you know, the results have been pretty good. So I, I do think that that's a big, big factor. Now, if you have continuity with a bunch of coaches who aren't very good, then it's not going to help you. But it's really important to keep your staff together and and really let them gel in the same way that, you know, you want to have – you know, juniors and seniors that have played together before. That's an advantage as those guys have, have, have gotten used to one another and know, know what that guy's going to do and know what he's capable of and can cover for one another. That, that stuff matters. I'm going to dig into the Twitter questions here in a minute, but first let's talk about HillsTravel.com. It's the easiest way to book travel to a big UNC away basketball game. Right now, Hills Travel's offering that package to Chicago to see Carolina take on Kentucky on December 22nd. It's one of their biggest games of the entire college basketball season. And you talk about blue blood college basketball, what bigger names than Carolina and Kentucky meeting in Chicago on December 22nd. So go to hillstravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book that trip. It includes nonstop airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the airport to the hotel and two nights at the Chicago Omni there where the team will be it's a great chance to see Carolina on a huge stage against a great opponent and a great chance to check out a great city at Christmas time December 22nd Chicago will be lit up Michigan Avenue shopping take the family spend some money spend some great time see Carolina and Kentucky hillstravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book that trip. Greg, uh, we'll move off this in a little bit, but it's, it's interesting to me. Somebody asked on the message board, and this is for both of you, but Greg, you can go first. How how tough do you think it'll be for North Carolina to be turned around, one way or another? And we, I think we universally agree that the – the wholesale staff changes is not really an option, but how how hard of a job will it be to turn North Carolina's football program around if it's a tough job at all? Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And it it really matters on, you know, what the, what the circumstances is with the coaching staff. I mean, if we're talking about a new coaching staff, is it a guy like urban Meyer who has proven that he can show up and, Needs a maybe one year to get things turned around quickly. Now I'm gonna stop like, you there. Now yeah, you just you just made a lot of people faint by even bringing his name up. No, no but there's there's different categories. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, there's and, and, there's and Urban wouldn't come and take this job because Urban has been very selective in the kind of jobs he's taken. You think about Florida 
had recruited at a top five or six level under Ron Zook right before Urban got there. And he took that job over Notre Dame. He'd been offered both jobs. He took that job because he knew it was loaded. He went to, he went to an Ohio State program that had recruited in the top six nationally for like six years solid. So he went to loaded rosters. Yeah, it's a lot easier to, to turn that around. So Urban, I, I don't even credit that to Urban being a great coach so much as Urban really, I mean, he is a, he is a really, really good coach. He's a great coach. But he also did a fantastic job of making sure that he chose exactly the right places to go. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. And <laughs> but he, I don't think there's any question that he would he would make North Carolina a lot better quickly. That's kind of my point. Not necessarily twelve and zero or, or you know, eleven <laughs> and three again, uh, but he would make them better quickly. But then you've got the the Dave Clawson type, who Dave everywhere he's been he's won, but he does it overnight. It takes him three to four years, but whether it's at Richmond, whether it's at Bowling Green, whether it's at Wake, you've seen a slow uptick in what he's been able to do, and that's what makes him an appealing candidate. If you're talking about Fedora staying and having to reconfigure his staff, well, that's a different category. I mean, what 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 are we talking about staff changes-wise? Are we talking about Fedora finally handing over his baby to a different offensive coordinator? Uh, that would be something new. We haven't seen that before. You know, is it a Gene Chizik type defensive coordinator who can come in and and have his his voodoo magic where the defense really isn't that much better, but yet they keep teams out of the end zone? Uh, so a lot of things like that kind of come into play. I mean, in 2014, I think it's a great example. You know, Carolina's six and seven. A year later, when they have some some changes, they go eleven and three. Um, and so it really depends on the circumstances. And uh, I think at this point in time, you know, depending on <laughs> which, which way you want to guess kind of gives you the answer. But I do think while the talent may not be great, I think they, they have recovered from the NCAA sanctions. I think they do have for the most part depth. Now, is it high grade talented depth? And that's, you know, that's, that's another conversation. But they've got enough bodies at different positions where that has been an issue in the past. So I think there's opportunity there for somebody to come in if it's not Fedora uh, and have some success early. But it may not be the skyrocket to contending for the ACC title you know, in a matter of one or two years. It may be a little bit longer deal than that. Jason, hypothetically speaking, what's an ideal candidate for a job uh, – like North Carolina, if we were hypothetically talking about that job being open. <laughs> I just don't feel comfortable speaking, talking about this stuff really when it's not an opening at the point. But I, I feel yeah. like we probably should and could and will. I'm, I'm not real comfortable with that either. Uh, partly because, again, I think, yeah, there's a lot of things that this coaching staff could have done better. Uh, and there there are some things that need to be fixed. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how, given the injury situation at quarterback, I mean, you've had a couple kids come in and look pretty promising, and they went down in the same game that they started looking promising. Uh, you know, you've had some other things that have, that have happened the last few years where you look at it and you're like, man, I mean, all you need, what you really need is you need like some sort of shaman to come in or something, you know? 
you need someone to bring in like anointing oil or something into that football facility or something. I mean, the big thing is that they need to get, you know, they need to get, uh, you know, the bad juju out of there more than anything. So I want to preface that any discussion of this with that. Uh, but you know, those, those who've listened, listened to us for a while or have, have, uh, you know, paid attention to my posts on, uh, inside Carolina on the, uh, on the premium board and the tar pit, uh, for a, a couple of years, know how, how highly I think of Jeff Brom at, uh, at, at, at Purdue. Uh, I think if, you know, you can get Jeff Brom, he's about, he's the closest thing to ideal. Well, didn't uh, and, he, uh, has he, uh, not accepted or is Dan Dockett's just off his rocker? Oh, I, 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 him in Louisville. I mean, I think, I, I think those, I think the talks are probably pretty strong and he's got, you know, strong ties to Louisville, but, even though he's got those ties to Louisville, I mean, if Carolina's if the Carolina position opened up and he hadn't signed the papers with Louisville yet, Carolina job's a better job, and he knows that he would know that. So, uh, you know, especially given that it's in the coastal instead of the the Atlantic, I mean, you're not dealing with with uh, with Clemson and with Florida State in in your division the same way. Uh, Miami's handicapped more than than either of those two programs in terms of of its. Uh, infrastructure so you know it's a it's a more open division you've got more talent in the state so you know it would at least be attractive to him and he would be a guy that actually would fit really well in terms of the Carolina way I mean he's not a live and die football guy he's I think he runs the best offense in the country uh schematically I I like his offense better than anybody else's um and I think he's pretty close to a genius in terms of of running at least an offense and I think he's a dang good head coach but he's one of those guys that actually, you know, believes in academics and lives, you know, he actually has, you know, some views on things outside of football, you know, ha- lives a normal life to a large degree. And that would be something pretty refreshing. Um, so that would be probably the closest thing to, to ideal, but I don't think he would be, again, I, 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 I have my strong doubts as to whether or not he actually would, would be gettable. Um, beyond that, I don't think there is a perfect candidate. I think you, you're, you're going to have to find somebody you're going to have to make some compromises on what you want in in your coach and and uh you know what what can you envision can you see this person having success there because i don't think that there's a you know a hot shot uh head coach in the mid majors or someone you know someone who's got some head coaching experience at a prior school that I could just envision coming into Carolina and just being a natural fit. I mean, you get people that mention, you know, like Les Miles or Mac Brown. And I just, I roll my eyes at that stuff, man. Mac, you know, if I wanted, if I really wanted to hamstring the, the Carolina team that much more, I'd bring in Les Miles. You talk about a guy that had Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, he had Jarvis Landry and he had an NFL quarterback, uh, Mettenberger, throwing to him. And managed to, I think, average. I think they averaged less than thirty points a game. And they had what two, two, uh, two running backs that are still in the NFL there, and several NFL guys on the on the offensive line. You know, the old saying was that you know only Dean Smith could hold Michael Jordan under twenty points. Uh, and you know that was tongue in cheek because you know, and and they had success in Smith's system. Anyway, only Les Miles could hold that LSU offense under thirty. I mean that that was that was an accomplishment. He would be a disaster at North Carolina. And to me, you don't go back to Mac Brown. I mean, if you look at how things ended up at Texas, and if if you listen to Mac Brown's commentary, 
I mean, have you listened to him call a game the last few years? And you're like, is anybody actually listen to him call a game and, 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 and have the conclusion like, yeah, that's a guy I definitely want in charge of my team. I sit there and I'm like, is he seriously saying this? Like he would do that? Oh my gosh. So, you know, those are, those are the kind of things that, yeah, you know, the name sounds good or Butch Davis. No. First of all, he's too old for the position at this point. You want somebody who's going to be a young up and coming recruiter. That's going to fit, fit the, uh, you know, fit the, uh, the program well and be able to grow with the program. So, you know, those are the kind of things you can't do. I will pitch a name out there that some will recoil at my, at my suggestion for, for obvious reasons. But if, if I were, if I were hiring and the job were open, I would, I would definitely interview this candidate and, uh, and he would be toward the top of my board just because I think the guy can really coach. And I think the network that he would bring along would be, uh, would be some, some quality coaches as well. And that's Kendall Bryles. You talk about another offensive, offensive guy that, that, Along with Brom, if you want a guy that that knows how to coach offense, look at what happened with with Lane Kiffin this last year at FAU. Look at what ha- what he did with Kendall Bryles as his coordinator last year, and now look at what they're doing this year. And now look at what uh, what Houston's doing with Kendall Bryles this year. There's there's something to that. So he would be of all the assistants out there. Yeah, there's some baggage and there's some stuff that oh, you'd have to swallow hard and you know deal with some of the fallout of that. But that's a guy that if you're talking about winning games and talking about you know doing some of that, as long as you have other systems in place in your athletic department and in your university to make sure that nothing, that everything is is overseen properly in every other respect. If you're hiring a guy to win games, that would that's a guy that I would consider. Greg, uh, your thoughts there. I mean, I think the last thing you just said, Jason, as long as you have things in your athletic program and your football program that I, I'll misquote you, but you, to monitor, make sure bad things don't happen, then you'd be all right. That that was Carolina's issue um, in the Butch Davis era, not having those things in place, I think. Uh, but Two two things. One, your thought on a guy like Bryles, and and the name itself generates a lot of baggage. But also, how important do you think it is to have somebody that is tied to North Carolina in some way? Not North Carolina the school, uh, but North Carolina the state. How important would that be to you? Um, or do you think it would be important for the powers that be that are making these hires? All right, well, a couple of things. Number one, I think kind of with what you mentioned, Tommy, with the things that went on uh, less than a decade ago with John Blake and uh, and kind of the associations with the football program, I think Kendall Bryles is going to be a very tough sell uh, yep. for the for the for the board of trustees and for the community and for the the faculty. I think that would be a very significant issue, especially considering you know, when you talk about, you know, sexual assault and kind of that role on campuses these days, uh, you know, I think that's going to be something that's going to get a, a tremendous amount of attention. Yep. And I don't no, know I, that that's I do want to, I do want to jump in real quick and, and point something out here though. I, I should, I want to make it very clear 
that as uh, that we should all be taking sexual assault very, very seriously. This is something that, you know, societally and on campuses is a serious problem. But the reality is that head coaches can't supervise their players all the time. There's a 20 hour rule. And so this idea that, you know, the head coach is responsible to make sure that his players, you know, don't, don't do stupid stuff or don't do illegal stuff or, you know, violent stuff or whatever. There's only so much you can do. Now you recruit, you have to recruit guys that are going to fit and and are going to be good citizens. But aside from that, I mean, we don't have athletic dorms anymore. All of the apparatus that used to be there for the head coach to actually be the supervisor of all this stuff is gone. So to some degree, I mean, I, I, I do understand, like it would be, I don't think there's any way that they would hire him. But I do think the idea that like you should hire a head coach who's going to train his, you know, his, his players in specific ways or whatever. I just think that's unrealistic in terms of how these relationships and how the time, the time, uh, the, the FaceTime actually works and all that within programs. It's not, it's not how things actually work. And programs have to pretend that these coaches are like dads to their play. I mean, there is some degree of that, but that the coaches are like managing their players and are the ones that, you know, make sure their players stay out of trouble and all that. And there's, you just can't do that. You don't like the NCAA with removing athletic dorms and all that took away anything that you could do to try to police that as a coach now. So that's part of why I, I would look at that from my perspective and say, you hire the coach that's going to win you games and you put in the infrastructure so that there's no, that there's a minimal chance of any, of anything, of anything happening uh, that, you know, on that coach's watch because the coach can't handle it, but you can put in some infrastructure institutionally to, to support that in other ways. But anyway, sorry, yeah, to, sorry to interrupt, but that's something I think no, is important. No, I think you're exactly right. Now I think North Carolina fans know that firsthand because when everything went down back in 2010, when I start diving into it, trying to figure out, okay, what are the coaches responsible for? You find out very quickly that at that point in time, North Carolina had three compliance staff officers uh, staffed. You look at Alabama at the same time, they had eight. <laughs> uh, and so yeah. it's, it's really a matter of if, if, you don't, if you don't have it staffed properly to have all these things accounted for, you're really going to put it on the coach, the head coach, to say, okay, this particular player is taking a trip during the summertime out west. Do you know exactly where he is, how he got there, where he's staying, all these different things? Or is even where he's staying – tomorrow you know tomorrow night on campus i mean come on right right you got 110 um, guys it, it's not i mean yeah yeah so it's you're right it's the infrastructure is in place and so even though you know kendall browse in terms of the accusations is more that hey maybe he encouraged it saying that you know the, the women on baylor's campus uh, liked athletes i mean that's like the extent of the accusations against him to my knowledge uh, I mean, there's a yeah. there, there there's a there's a controversial statement that, you know, no coach ever would say anywhere or, you know, someone who's observing reality would ever. Oh, good Lord. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this is a great discussion. Yes. Right. So the, the <laughs> other name I was going to mention, though, in, in line with Kendall Browse is just look at what happened with when Larry Fedora brought in Tim Beckman, his old buddy, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Think about the uproar that that caused just because Beckman, he wasn't even, you know, a, a hired coach. He was like volunteer coaching, helping out 
uh, fedora as, as a friend, basically trying to get his feet back under him. That did not end very well at all. And so I think <laughs> you would have that, that same kind of pushback against a guy like Browse. Now you mentioned a guy like, like Mac Brown. Um, the nostalgia is such a powerful force with Mac mm-hmm. because we all know what, what happened when he was in Chapel Hill. Uh, he was at, he was at app state beforehand. He loves the mountains. Uh, they still have a house in the mountains. I'm not sure if they have a, a house in the triangle Chapel Hill area anymore or not, uh, but he's been here a lot lately. So there's a, there's a lot of strong feelings toward Mac and you know, he, he elevated North Carolina's program really to about as high as has ever been back when I was in college. Uh, but then, you know, Mac left, he, he went for, for greener pastures in Texas and kind of to Jason's point. I mean, if you look at, you look at what happened, Mac's last four years at Texas, they went 18 and 17 in big 12 play his last four years. And he hasn't coached in five years. So we're talking about, you know, a decade removed from when he had Texas operating at a, at a high clip. Can he get that back? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I have no reason to doubt he couldn't, but a decade's a long time. And I know that he had mentioned Dick Vermeil as a, as a guy, mm-hmm. Hey, he, he, he was out of co- coaching for 15 years and he came back and won a Super Bowl. Well, there's a reason that's such a great story because it never happened. <laughs> um, you know, you have, you have guys like Bill Snyder, you know, and Bill's one of the oldest guys. Co- I think he is the oldest guy coaching right now. Might be the oldest left, guy in the world. <laughs> Maybe he was old when he left the first time, um, but he left and came back five years later. And I think, I think Mac right now is 67. So if, if he were to come to say next year, he'd be 68 before the first games have been played. So think about the recruiting dynamic there. You're going to have to sell kids. Hey, I'm going to be here in five years when you graduate. So when I'm 73, 73. Yeah. Uh, so I get the nostalgia part of it. I get the good memories. Uh, I think that would be a challenge. Uh, but, you know, at, at this point, I think you'd have to consider all viable options. And if you're not able to go after a guy like Bryles or young and up and comer, uh, then maybe you have to kind of lean back on some of these other options that are that are easily uh, attainable for you. You know, Les Miles has connections because of his son. So I think that's why his name always comes up. He's available. Maybe none of the other big schools want him. Uh, and Mac may be in that situation in terms of guys that have big names, big reputations that you can bring in. They'd give you some stability initially, but I don't know what that means long term for the program. Yeah, that, that's kind of like why I like hearing somebody like Mac Brown or even Les Miles. I mean, Jason, they've got to get some sort of respect, respectability in uh, the homes of the high school recruits. And you get a, a young and upcomer, say somebody like even a Satterfield. He's got the North Carolina ties. I think he would do fine at Carolina. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people on the message board think they're looking at Bo Derricks and tens and that's the only acceptable thing. Uh, but the respect the program needs um, and somebody like Mike Brown or somebody like that gets them back in the national conversation. And I think that's something the program desperately needs. Don't you think? Yeah. Right up until you get on the field and you, you're not prepared to play. The, the thing that's going to get you national recognition, there's talent enough on the roster to, to, to win to win games 
and to have an exciting offense next year. What you've got to do if you're, and this is regardless of, of whether they actually, you know, keep come back with the same head coach or not. The thing that's going to change any, any discussion is, is going to be on the field stuff. And I'll just, again, I'll give you another example. And I keep going to Florida state because dang it, it's not because I, not necessarily just because of my ties there, but because they, they got some great examples for our discussion. Look at Florida state this year. Nobody had a better off season. Nobody won the off season and had that program, the, the, the positive buzz of a program as a first year head coach. Nobody did a better job than Willie Taggart. Going into this season, they were as hot on the fi- on the uh, on the recruiting trail as you know. It, it was it was totally a man. This place is going to be absolutely lit. This place, you know, the, if if they can have anything close to the the product on the field that that they're be able to uh, that they've been able to get in terms of buzz in in the living rooms and in terms of you know the way that kids are talking about this staff and all that. If they can get anywhere, if they can keep this momentum up through the season at all, then, man, the, the, the sky's the limit. Have you guys watched a Florida State game this year? <laughs> I could start at tackle, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, seriously, my, my offensive tackle technique, thanks to doing some of those videos with, uh, with uh, Ingersoll. Mike Ingersoll, my offensive tackle technique is better than, than what I've seen at different points this year from Florida State. And the reality is you can have that guy that's going to get you some respect up front, you know, right after getting hired and get you, you know, at least get kids thinking about like, man, you know, you got a, you got a legend there. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if you go out and you get blown out. I mean, Florida State's lost, what, five games by 20 points this year? When you go out and you do that, you know, they were, they were a, a top candidate for the number one recruit in the country coming into the year. He, he, he had a, a visit for the Virginia Tech game, and they got stomped by Virginia Tech. And that's not a good Virginia Tech team. And then they got, you know, they almost got beat by Samford, and they keep going up. And they're one of the few teams in the country that might be more painful to watch than North Carolina this year. North Carolina's looked at least competent at times. They've just been, they've been close to winning games. They, you know, they just keep falling short. Florida State's been the game's over by the end of the first quarter, and 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 like I said, the thing is, you hire a Mac Brown, you hire a uh, a um, Les Miles, they better be bringing a Kendall Bryles quality offensive coordinator with them. They better be bringing guys that are going to get them that are going to be able to support that on the uh, you know on the field. Because all that stuff off the field, that's great. But what matters is you better be able to show proof of concept on the field or you're screwed. And the, the reality is, how many kids today, like let's say, you've got a, let's say you've got a junior or a sophomore in high school, you know, these kids that I'm working with, how many of those kids remember Mac Brown? I'm not talking about Mac Brown at, at North Carolina. I'm talking about Mac Brown at Texas. None. You realize, that, you realize that a kid that is a junior in high school right now, 16 years old, right? 16, 17 years old. When Mac Brown won a national title at Texas, what year was that? That's 2005. So that was four. 2005. That kid was four years old, three years old. He doesn't remember Mac Brown being a good coach. 
Somebody has to tell him, hey, this is Matt Brown. He used to be really good. Same thing with Les Miles. Les Miles was, was, was at LSU. Yeah, everybody knows who Les Miles is. I mean, the kids have seen him on Center. They've seen all that. But do they remember Les Miles coaching a good team? An exciting team to watch? Is that really going to get you credibility with those kids? And you can say the same thing for Butch Davis. This moves really quickly because, I mean, the, the, the kids that watched Florida State win a national title, that was, that was five years ago. A junior was, you know, 11, 10 years old. Those kids barely remember that. And so, you know, what matters is not looking back and trying to get somebody that, you know, was good back then because the kids don't remember it. What you've got to do is you've got to get somebody who can show proof of concept on the field and can fill a room and be a personable individual that somebody actually can trust that is going to get you kids. That's what's going to matter. And, you know, you got to get somebody who can actually talk to parents and actually get parents to trust him and that, that kids can relate to a little bit and then show that he can run a disciplined and fun to watch program. And that's what's going to get you kids. That's what's going to get you players. But if you're trying to do that on the front end on a guy who's going to win the offseason, well, I give you exhibit A, Florida State. Yeah, and I remember you talking a lot during that offseason about how the, the tide was turning there and how everything was – trending in the right direction. And then like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan to you get punched in the face. Yep. Customato actually said that Mike used to, used to quote yeah. cuss, but, but, uh, but yeah, Come that, on, that, that... you don't mess up my great. That's so Jason. <laughs> it is. It is. I couldn't resist, but, and, and, you know, I had my doubts about, about Taggart when he was hired and about that staff and they may still turn it around. I mean, there's some good coaches on that staff. But it is a good example of you can do everything right and, the, and the, the, the tone and the tenor can be so good, but it doesn't matter if you can't put it on the field. So you better hire somebody that, or, or better support somebody that can, that can get it done on the field. And that's a lot harder than people think. Better have some great coordinators. Yeah. They, they are probably as important for North Carolina, whatever's coming down the road as anything. Let's so talk- does, that, does that get us back to just Fedora hire new coordinators and that be <laughs> the end of it? If it's, his cho- if, if it's his choice, it's circling if, if, something. If, if he believes that he needs to hire new coordinators and he has an idea of who he should hire, then that can work. But if you're having to force him to make that call, then you're probably going to have, and, and, and you feel that you need to force him to make that call, then you need to go ahead and, and cut and, and cut your losses there. And if, if you, if you don't think that you need to do that, if you think he's got a handle on it, then you give him another year. Simple as that. Yeah, we could go on forever. I, you know, I want to stay there and ask Greg. The problem is that is that opportunity was given last year. Yep. To to do that on the offensive side, and it was a uh, politely declined. So anyway, let's <laughs> By talk. The way, as far as as far as coordinators, you you don't just talk about your offensive and defensive coordinators that are critical. The other guy that's the most important non-head coach in your athletic department is your strength and conditioning coordinator because that's the guy that spends the most time with your players if you want to talk about a guy that actually sets the tone in terms of what what kids are doing on and off the field and all that it's that guy indeed and i would wager that uh people listening to this podcast would probably put that higher um pretty damn high up 
Bingo, uh, and they're right to do it. Is. I'm going to sneak one more commercial break in here, and then I think there's a game on Saturday. We better talk about that after the break. So let's talk about Western Carolina. Oh, boo. Carolina. <laughs> we need to do it because I'm going to ask you to make a prediction later in the show, and this time we're going to go exact points. So, Greg, uh, Carolina and Western, we talked briefly at the beginning of this show about how bad they are, and North Carolina's not good either, but it's two different levels of football. So North Carolina needs to have some success. How will they on Saturday? I say just run the ball 70 times, uh, but what do you think North Carolina does coming out of the gate? I think North Carolina does whatever it wants to do offensively. Uh, I mean, if you look at Western Carolina's stats, they've got a good offense, uh, but they are one of the worst defenses at the FCS level, let alone the you know FBS level. Uh, they're giving up 40 points a game at the FCS level, which is not good. Um, and, I mean, when you're talking about you know, VMI, hung 50 on them, Furman, 44, Sanford hung 66 on them, Mercer, 59, uh, Citadel and Wofford, 38 points each of the last two weeks. So North Carolina um, will be able to improve their their red zone numbers, their uh, third down efficiency <laughs> numbers. This is a good opportunity to, to boost some of those stats. And this is, you know, uh, for whatever reason, Larry Fedora has done a very good job in his time at, at UNC and at Southern Miss of just annihilating FCS teams. That's just, that's just one of his things. It's a gift. And um, it is a gift. <laughs> got eight. 80 20 a couple years ago and it's gotten worse from there it seems like um so i think the defense will be able to to handle um tyree adams who's a pretty good athlete at, at quarterback for western carolina and as i mentioned they're they're scoring points they're scoring 32 a game but you know when you go up against a, a power five level defense regardless if it struggles like carolina's has you're not going to have much much chance so this is I don't think we have to talk too much about this one because it's going to get ugly quick. <laughs> Jason, why is that though? Why does why do Larry Fedora coach teams wear out FCS teams and struggle so much against FBS teams? I think at it's times? The line of scrimmage. I think it, it boils down to the line of scrimmage. So you know, Fedora's offense is going to spread you out and try to create a horizontal stretch to be able to to get vertical seams to be able to create big plays and better FBS teams have defensive lines that are good enough to be able to stop the run with fewer players in the box. And that allows you to slow down some things on the edge a little bit more. You know, some of the teams that, you know, in the ACC have good enough corners to, to, to play a little tighter. Uh, when you're playing with the kind of athletes that Fedora generally has on offense and with the scheme that he has, which, you know, it's a good scheme. He coaches it well. Uh, when you, when you have the advantage on the, on the offensive line, uh, on the line of scrimmage, in addition to having basically one-on-one -on -one advantages at each spot on the outside, you can kind of name your score, but it's just, it's a different thing when you're playing against an FBS team that has some defensive linemen that can give you trouble that you now have to double team that guy, or you have to scheme around this guy. You have to get rid of the ball a little quicker. You have to, you know, you, you can't just throw 
this short pass and expect this guy to be able to, you know, make him make a guy miss and take off, or this guy just can't run by this guy. Uh, it's it's just this offense is 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 predicated on on creating those that that stretch and then getting big plays. And you're going to get big plays when you have, you know, basically big advantages uh, at those different spots. And uh, you know that's different from say a team that's going to go I formation and is going to play in the phone booth a little bit more. And yeah, if you have a big advantage, you're still packed up, packed in enough that, you know, you dominate up front and running back takes off and he's going to get, he's going to get hit and tackled at, you know, after a 12 yard gain in Fedora's offense, because everybody's so spread out, you get the exact same thing. And that guy's going yard. He's, he's taking it to the barn. And so that, uh, that's that's the real difference, and 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 this kind of offense. I mean, you, you go around the country and look at what offenses that are most comparable to North Carolina do against inferior competition, and it's generally they, they that inferior competition gets obliterated. It's in the games against comparable competition that 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 they tend to bog down a good bit more because again, there there are counters that you can throw defensively if you've got the personnel to match up one on one. Tommy, by my count, the average scoring margin against FCS teams in the Fedora era is 43.6 points. Uh, 80-20 was impressive. I, I also remember, I believe the Idaho game was in the pouring rain. And yeah, but they were, not, they were not FCS. That was 66 yeah, up. Yeah, Elon might, that year was 62. Yeah, Idaho might as well have been. I'm going to tell that y'all keep messing up my stories. <laughs> Idaho. We, we we set out to do it this 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 uh, episode. Yeah, really. I'm gonna make Idaho FCS right this second. JB Sissel takes a picture of my section in section 206. It's raining so hard that game, uh, and there are four people in our section: me, my oldest, my wife, and my youngest bailed early, and the daddy and the daughter sitting right behind us. I predict that the crowd may be similar in Keenan Stadium on Saturday <laughs> under sunny skies. Greg, my question to you is, uh, do I need to get a 16 jersey for Saturday? Uh, do you think we'll see Manny Miles get some meaningful snaps in this one? Uh, I doubt it. And the reason I say that is I think if, if Cade Fortin is healthy enough to go, I suspect he'll probably see some playing time. Uh, and that brings up a whole nother conversation that we don't have to get into right now. <laughs> That's uh, where I was fixing. Uh, but I suspect, uh, I suspect if Cade can go, he will probably play. And uh, along with Nathan Elliott. So miles may get a few, a series or two late, but I don't think he'll get the ball club. Uh, we'll leave that Fortin discussion alone. Cause, uh, Save Fortin and play him against NC State. Dang it! Yeah, unless you're going to burn his shirt. And uh, if he's just... healthy, if he's healthy, I have a feeling he'll play both games. That will be uh, interesting. That will that uh, be infuriating. But anyway, <laughs> that would be the the final um, sealant. Not even a nail. We're beyond the nails. All right, let's do some predictions. You got to get it exactly right. And you have to. We'll do spread instead of points because who knows? Oh, I got a. I got a point one though. I got a. Okay, you can do both, but we're going. Yeah, I'll. I'll figure out the math. I'll get my calculator. Give me a point total, uh, 
Jason, Carolina, Western Carolina. I got Carolina 59, uh, Western Carolina uh, 20. How do they get to 59? Eight touchdowns, I believe, and a field goal? That, yes. that's, that's very good, yes. Seven times eight is 56, and then you add three. Okay, so you think it'd be that clean? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, the thing is, there may be something else in there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with 59. I think I think they're gonna put the ball in the end zone a lot in this game, and fans are gonna be going, "Where was that?" You know, the last few weeks. And then they look down and see us three in Western jerseys. Greg, your uh, your spread and point total. I'll make you do points too. I'm I'm just going with the repeat of last year, 65-10. The over-under in this game is 75, which matches perfectly, so why not? <laughs> I'll go uh, I'll go 52 to 13. They score, Western scores on a turnover and kicks a field goal on a turnover and then has one decent drive. So anyway, I think it'll be a, a good day for the, I believe they're wearing all blue in Keenan Stadium. Listen. Jason, I know you'll enjoy this. We've got one more of these shows to do next next week, and we'll have to figure out when we're going to do it since the holiday is. But just one more football preview show for 2018. Don't uh, don't be too upset. It's kind of sad, you know. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll have plenty to talk about oh, um, in the next few weeks. I'm going to wrap this one. It's been a long one. I think we might, uh, if we got paid by the word, we'd be rich men tonight, but that'll do it. Jason, Greg, appreciate you joining me as always. It's always fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEALS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.